0: With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5.0. Mojo 5.0. We
1: will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. All right, welcome to another edition of the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm going to get right into it because I have a lovely guest uh, sitting with me waiting to come on. And um, she has been suffering under COVID restrictions, but not in the way you might think. She is a recent graduate of Earlham School of Religion, and she ended up overturning her college's policy for requiring the COVID nineteen vaccine. I first heard her on the uh, RFK Defender Show, um, Robert Kennedy's Robert Kennedy Junior's show, and I reached out to ask her to come on because she is standing up to a lot of backlash. For her stance on freedom, I'm welcoming to the show right now. Kate Corrigan, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you so much, Sam. It's so great to be on the show. Thank you for having
1: me. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for coming on and for standing strong. Despite all the backlash that you got, I guess we should just really start right at the beginning. Um, Just start with the the beginning of your story, because initially, your stance was actually not that far off, uh, according to most of the people that you went to school with, right?
2: Definitely. Yes. Yes. So I uh, got my bachelor's degree in human rights studies at Earlham College. uh, And then I was in a master's program through Earlham School of Religion, which is a branch of Earlham College. And so for uh, the five years that I was a student there at Earlham College and Earlham School of Religion, I had a religious exemption that was accepted. I've had a long-standing religious exemption in my life. And so um, I came into a difficult situation where my school put out a notice on April 1st saying that they were requiring proof of vaccination status to attend graduation. So I'm graduating, I just graduated from a master's program in peace and social transformation at Earlham School of Religion. And so I came into a very difficult situation where my school was saying, well, now we're requiring this vaccine And so I basically just let them know of of my rights and my freedoms underneath Indiana state law, underneath federal law and underneath the Constitution of the United States of America. Um, And then uh, eventually my school ended up uh, changing their policy. Um, they changed their entire website from saying that they're requiring proof of COVID uh, vaccine status. They're requiring proof of a negative COVID test to simply recommending both of these, both the vaccine and the test, which was just wonderful news. I was so happy to go to graduation. Um, so happy that my family would also be able to come. Uh, so that was, it was really great. Um, but that's exciting.
1: Sorry okay. to jump in, but to be clear, is your family uh, is your family had vac- had the shots or had had anything or, or are they also taking a religious exemption like they're taking a religious? My family, st-
2: have, my family has also had um, a longstanding religious exemption to vaccines. So we've all had a, you know, a longstanding uh, religious exemption, which has been accepted to multiple schools. I've, I'm also I was homeschooled for the majority of my primary education. Um, from third to twelfth grade. Um, I, did, I was in a, in a semester school, a Quaker semester school for four months in Northern California, which was my first introduction to Quakerism um, and I, 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 I pride myself in, in valuing and, and living by the Quaker values, um, which is why I went to Orlam College because of, of the values they stand for of. Are you Quaker? Of- I am not Quaker. I'm not Quaker. So but you, but you I, I respect,
1: respect them because, yeah, Earlham is a Quaker school. I yeah.
2: do, yes. No, I, I strongly believe in finding the inner light of everyone and finding their own light in God and following their truth, their inner truth. And so this whole journey... Richard
1: Nixon was a Quaker and so was... Um,
2: Benjamin Franklin was a Quaker. I don't know about Richard Nixon. He might be. I, I'm not sure. But I know Benjamin Franklin was as, as well as many of the founding fathers of, of our nation. They were Quakers, uh, and so and they, they believed in in the right of of individual rights and freedoms and being able to practice whatever faith they want to practice. That was the founding of our nation is religious freedom. Um, so I definitely you know my my great grandfather I'm the eighth great granddaughter of the first governor of the state of Connecticut John Webster, and his family came to America and founded the the Connecticut colony, uh, in search of religious freedom. Um, most of my family, uh, I come from a long line of, of Irish freedom fighters who fought in the Irish Republican army. And so freedom, uh, means a lot to me and my family. Uh, and so, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, putting, having the, having the option to decide what we put into our bodies is so fundamental, the right to bodily autonomy. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
1: So, So up until the graduation, your school had not had a problem issuing you exemptions. Had you been attending classes in person or did they just push everybody off online and so it wasn't a big deal?
2: Well, this past year, uh, due to COVID, uh, all of the classes were online. And then I was going to actually have an in-person class. It was a two-week intensive course in May. And then once my professor knew that I was not going to get the COVID vaccine, he changed the class from being in person to being online. So I had plans to travel to Indiana to be, uh, to attend class in person. And he said, well, with all of this out in the open um, the class is going to be uh, online now to protect my own safety. Uh, And then, um, and then, and and so I was that class totally changed the whole, the whole, how it was going to run. And then I was actually removed from an online class. Uh, So I, have my last requirement for my degree was, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Uh, Before we get to that, I want to clarify. So, so they changed the graduation policy basically for you because you were like, Hey, you, you can't do this. Did you get a lawyer involved also at that point, or was it just through your letters to them?
2: Well, at that point they hadn't replied to my last email for multiple weeks. So then I contacted the Senator in my district Indiana and then I contacted the Attorney General's office in Indiana and they uh, recommended that I file complaints with the Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education as well as the Indiana Commissioner for Civil Rights and from there the both organizations did their own uh, investigations and so Earlham College had to respond to the Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education as to why they were going to be discriminating against me for attending my own graduation. And so so rather than
1: face, rather than need to reply, they just changed their whole website. Did they notify you of that or they just?
2: They didn't notify me of that. They wrote a letter back to the Indiana Commissioner for Higher Education uh, saying that I no longer need to require or show proof of vaccination status. Um, It was very short and brief, but they never contacted me directly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're such cowards, these bullies. Bullies are cowards. Let's just... Let it be said for the record, most bullies are cowards. All right. So uh, so they changed their policy. Did you go to graduation? Did you walk in the graduation? What was that like?
2: Definitely. So uh, Earlham College and Earlham School of Religion have two ceremonies, um, which is a little bit different than most schools. So on Friday night, they have like a worship service. And then on Saturday, um, they have the, the typical graduation where you walk, you get your diploma, um, et cetera. So um, on, on Friday night, I went to the worship service, and uh, so I'll just back up a minute. I was actually removed from speaking at graduation uh, because I'm not vaccinated, and half of the students in my class were harassing me, contacting you know the dean and contacting the president to have me removed. Eventually, they had me removed from speaking at graduation. And, and so I decided uh, to share what I had written for the past month of a poem that I wrote, um, I'm a poet. I love writing poetry, and a lot of my poetry um, is connected to spirituality, to the divine, to God. And so, I decided to read my poem during the worship service. Uh, And so, I got up at the podium and I read my poem. Oh, so hold
1: on. So, the worship service invites people—just whoever would like to come and speak.
2: Yes, yes. So, in Quaker worship, uh, basically. Um, there's a moment of silence and people uh, have the opportunity to speak if they feel led uh, to share, whatever that may be. And so I decided in that moment to share the poem that I wrote and worked on for, you know, a month. And so uh, people were very angry about me speaking. And so, you know, I I started off by saying that. That's absurd. Like,
1: like she hasn't gotten the shot. Therefore she should be silent. What is that? Like, what is that? Seriously. Yeah. Like, what they're denying that they're denying your humanity. This is a very, very dangerous. It's a very dangerous ideology that yeah. we can d- deny a person's humanity in a religious context, in right. a Christian religious context. The other religions do it, but Christianity supposedly doesn't do that. And yet they're denying your humanity by being angered by you even opening your mouth
2: yes yes they were very angered and that's it goes into this entire culture of canceling people out and censoring them and we're seeing this constantly you know on social media and so and I I definitely was seeing that in my own my own university so I was it was very disheartening what was happening and so you know I went up and I I, I wrote a beautiful poem. I think it's a beautiful poem um, about the values of, of Quaker principles and the values that we have learned through taking classes such as Christian epics and peace and social transformation. So you rubbed
1: their noses in it.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't. I was just speaking my own truth by saying, this is what I've learned from this institution. This is what we have all should have learned please, to be a leader.
1: Okay. So one of the things that I noticed in your interview with, uh, with Kennedy is you say your own truth. Yes let's just say the truth. It's not yours. It's the. And the fact that that you're proposing it doesn't make it any less true or more true. It's the truth. Now, if somebody disagrees with the truth, then they can bring facts to disagree. But the truth is you were sharing this. It wasn't your truth. It was the truth that you were sharing, that this is something that everybody should have gleaned from a religious Quaker education. Don't the Quakers refer to each other as friends?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nixon was a Quaker. Uh, and so was um, the guy who wrote Witness, whose name is just escaping me for whatever reason, because they became friendly, actually, after oh. he left communism and, and then eventually became a Quaker. And he, he did it out of love for humanity. And now you're talking to young people who have been educated in a system that purports to teach Quakerism in its depths, to teach religiosity, Christianity in its depths. And you have people behaving as the opposite of that, which uh, frankly angers me. I can't imagine that you weren't somewhat angered by it, but certainly frustrated. And not only that, you're sharing from your heart, which is something that ought to be um, admired at least, applauded at least. And yet, no, they just want to shut you down.
2: Exactly. Yes. I mean, I, I definitely felt like, you know, I went back um, after this entire experience and I went back and read through all of the Quaker principles that I've learned and, yeah. and valued. I got them I, wrong?
1: Was I somehow yeah. mistaken that that wasn't what I was supposed to do? <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. But it, it seems like, you know, not Quakerism, but at least the institution I was going to values diversity, but only to a certain extent. You know, if, if your viewpoints are so different from ours, they're canceled. They're not accepted. They're not welcome. They're shunned. And you have to be silent and you do as we say. You know because, I was receiving emails
1: we can't say that they value diversity. Exactly. They, they can't they're not allowed to hide behind that, right? We value diversity. No you don't. And I'm living proof, right?
2: Yes. Well that's why I I asked, you know, how can an institution claim that they promote acceptance, that they promote inclusive people from all backgrounds, that they 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 accept and invite diversity, but then they threaten and harass and shame and shun people that have different opinions in them. You can't. You can't play. You can't be on the same line. Um, you you just simply can't. And so that's why you know I, I think speaking I, what you said, speaking the truth, whatever that truth may be for you or for other people, is so important. And that's what I was taught. That that's how the the education that I received from Harlem College was to do that. You know, right. was to seek out your own truth, to seek out the truth, yeah. and to speak that loud and clear you, and fight
1: for it. You didn't learn properly shame on you. <laughs> they only meant to say that they didn't mean it. They mean to say diversity, but they don't actually mean the word. Diversity equals conformity. In fact, so my book, Words for Warriors, I'm coming out with uh, a poster that goes along with it that that uh, is sort of a, a reiteration of a bunch of the words that they've taken now and they've transformed into a completely different meaning, basically the opposite meaning in a sense so tolerance is just acceptance. Diversity means conformity. Uh, you know, they, they take these words, they say the words because they sound good, but they're lying because they don't mean them. They mean the opposite, basically. And because you refuse to conform, shame on you. You must be silenced. They, did try, they, they do want to cancel you. And I call it, I've decided now it should be called cancer culture because that's really what it is. It's a cancerous growth in, in our culture right now to kill part of the body. And, you know, I noticed, I, I'll just say this and then I need to take a break. Um, I, I went to my physical therapist who does massage um, in order to to heal people. And I, this thing occurred to me, you know, I can't massage somebody or different people for eight hours a day. Like, that's just not what I do. And I couldn't do it. And if we were all created the same, then we would all be massage therapists. But thank goodness that we're not that there is diversity regardless of whether other people want to believe it or support it or say they support it but not support it right we ought to be grateful for the the diversity that we have you're a poet god bless you i'm not a poet but i sure have a lot of respect for people who can manipulate words and use them as as if they were um as if they were paints and paint a canvas with those words i think it's phenomenal my daughter also is somewhat of a poet with her with her language use and uh, i find it astonishing so listen, we're going to take a quick break. Kate Corrigan is with me. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. If you're listening on radio, I will be right back. If you're, uh, at, and and for the second part of this interview, I would urge you to go to sorbos.locals.com where it will be posted also in video. If you're watching on video, then uh, you can also go to sorbos.locals.com for the second part of this uh, interview. And I want to ask Kate specifically, what were the things that happened to her after they after the school surreptitiously, Changed their policy on her behalf. Um, the people found out about it, and they were not happy. You heard about what happened at the church service, but when we when we continue this interview at sorbos.locals.com, uh, I will ask her about the various different responses that she got from so many of the people who are teaching Christian ethics and behavior. Stay tuned.
0: Control shaming twenty four seven. Mojo
1: five zero. All right, welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. I am here with uh, another guest. I'm very excited to talk to this young woman. She is a fellow at a Washington, D.C. think tank, which means that she thinks a lot about ethics and public policy. And she's the author of a new book, which is called Awake, Not Woke A Christian Response to the Cults of Progressive Ideology. It was released, it's just recently released by Tan Books. And uh, um, so welcome to the program. Her name is Noelle Mehring. Thanks for having me, Sam. Great to be here. There you are. So first of all, you work at a think tank. Is this is this book an offshoot of some of the work that you've been doing or is this sort of your own private? I, I, I'm always curious about how books sort of come about for, for people. Well, the think tank fellowship came after the book, actually,
0: after I would finished writing it and right before it released. So the book was just my own personal project that I, have, I proposed to my editor who I'd worked with for a Theology of Home book series that I'd done with a co-author, Carrie Gress. Uh, and then I just proposed this book to the same publisher and they greenlit it and went, went ahead.
1: So exciting. All right. So why? Why this book? Why now? And in fact, I'm, I am seeing a number of this kind of title coming out. Yeah, so
0: I had been writing articles about the woke movement for a couple of years uh, leading up to this and I just with, got initially interested in it because the, I, the it seemed to be for the last few years that things have been escalating and what s- appeared at first to be an academic issue, something that was happening on college campuses that we all could kind of chuckle about with th- safe spaces and all of that rest. Uh, was spilling more and more out into the mainstream, and that I think how we, uh, in a way, we dismissed it and thought, well, these kids will leave college and then they'll just kind of grow out of this, and real real life will hit them. However, it seemed like the opposite was happening, where they were leaving college and ad- actually taking control of the levers of uh, power in many institutions, uh, and the culture was increasingly becoming uh, far more woke. And the interesting part about it, to me especially, was how Christians were responding to this movement. So I started seeing Christian, Catholic, Protestant friends of mine. Who and just and just, uh, and just uh, associates who were increasingly kind of being pulled into it, and I think because it preys on a Christian on Christian concepts to walk with the marginalized and the suffering. Um, but there seems to be to be something very apparently off about it, where it, it just oftentimes tended to be merciless and, a, you know, social justice movement that was actually rather unjust in it's in, the, in, its, in practice. Well, so it's, I, I just became fascinated by that and how to um, understand the movement as a whole uh, and, and understand it in the context of how Christians should be understanding and responding to it.
1: It's interesting because um, walk with the marginalized, you would think that then the Christians would necessarily go to the people who didn't want to get the, the shots. I just had Kate Corrigan on the program, and she stood up for her right to not for her religious exemption against getting the shot, but still participating in her graduation from a Quaker religious school. Uh, you would think that if the Christians are, are getting woke because they feel so strongly for the minorities, that she would count as a minority, and yet she didn't.
0: No. And I think that that's one of the interesting things is that it's, it's really only approved categories of marginalized people. So, um, the, the, <laughs> the woke divide the world into oppressed and oppressors and the, who counts as oppressed is, is a limited, uh, category of, of human beings. So yeah, no, she wouldn't have counted, <laughs> uh, from the woke mindset. The white state, white so. girl, not oppressed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Unless she's fighting the
1: patriarchy or supporting abortion, then she's oppressed. Oh, right. All right. So, um, she had, a, she had a, a, a really an amazing experience. And, and that experience really is the subject of your book. What are you hoping people can take away from the book?
0: I, I think the primary things I'm hoping that people take away from it is uh, clarity and courage. So clair- I focus most on the clarity. I think the more we understand the history of the movement, the presuppositions, the way that ideologically it mirrors so many disastrous regimes that we've seen across the globe over the last hundred years then the better we can understand the danger um, and the toxicity of this movement. So I I really try to go through the history, but also the driving um, presuppositions, how it operates. So why does BLM, for example, want to also queer the culture? Why is queer theory and queer theology part of the uh, fight for racial justice in their minds? Um, That These things are connected. Why is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So the, the driving force of the movement it was the originally um, critical theory originated from something called the Frankfurt School, which was a, a group of neo Marxists and neo Freudians who came to America to seed revolution in this country.
2: What's and so the, the, the neo Marxism, a
0: Marxist and a neo Marxist. So uh, Marxist was fighting on purely economic terms; he wanted to seize the means of production economically, and he was a materialist. neo Marxism was the recognition of the Marxists who said, "Well, the revolution didn 't happen why didn 't it happen? It was supposed to be inevitable and so they realized, okay, a few things a this is from Lenin. We need an elite intellectual class telling people that they 're oppressed they need to we, which sounds familiar right um, and, and then uh, secondly, we need to broaden the the revolution from just being the people who are economically oppressed to people who are uh, oppressed based on race, oppressed, oppressed based on gender, and eventually oppressed, oppressed based on sexuality and transgendered. Um, and so, once you make it a cultural revolution, then you can you can infiltrate law, the academy, popular culture, Hollywood, the media, um, all these other channels, and you can create a broader class of division across you know varying groups. Um, so the revolution becomes more entrenched, it becomes a more wound, uh, more uh, filled with people who are wounded, um, and it more effectively seeds revolution because it targets things like the family and um, the church and the faith of the people, um, traditions, mores. So, um, so, so undermines, that more- it undermines the traditions and the mores, right? Right. It raptures yeah. us from them. Yeah. And then the Freudianism aspect was really what seeded the sexual revolution in many, many ways. So, so basically, the, the Neo-Freudianism says that our purpose for existence is to follow our will, no matter how perverse it is. And actually, the more idiosyncratic our sexual desires are, the more opportunity we have to be liberated, because it takes a greater amount of courage to express them and to own them and to identify them and because live them they're out. they're so wrong. What's that?
1: Because they're so, they're so, so wrong. So wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so even that sense of wrongness is our internalized repression. So we can be oppressed by other people, but we can also oppress ourselves by telling ourselves to conform to the traditional kind of ethics and morals of the day. Um, So that process of liberation is not just being liberated from other people, but being liberated from that dominant kind of moral idea that we're kind of using to make ourselves conform to, you know, traditional mores. So that was the combination of Marx and Freud.
1: Right. And so the, the Neo Marxism and Neo Freudian Revolution began. Wh- when would you say it began in the United States in earnest? They came here in 1935. I think it really took hold in the
0: 1960s uh, right. with a celebrity intellectual from the Frankfurt School named Herbert Marcusa, who really was he mentored and led so many um, y- young Bohemians in New York City and LA across the country. Uh, they were very influenced by him, and he wrote he wrote a lot of essays that really took hold of their imagination.
1: And so, do you see us getting out of this? Because I mean, it's we've got CRT in our schools and it's full bore. And I've seen, you know, Ron DeSantis came out and said, we will not be teaching this in our schools and we will be teaching pro-America in our schools and um, we won't be teaching communism, that communism is good. But I've said, you can tell a teacher not to teach something, but you can't make them not teach it. And so if your teachers are communists, they will not diss the thing that they believe in.
0: Yeah. And it's really good at morphing. So even if they banned it, they would just teach the same principles under a different name, you know. So uh, how do we get out of this? I mean, I think that the more clarity, the more courage people have, because I think that we're seeing parents all over the country revolt against it. Right. In school board meetings across the country. I have parents reaching out to me all the time uh, due to an article I wrote about some infiltration of this type of thing in, in Catholic schools. So um, I, I think we're seeing a real grassroots resistance to it. And it could go either way. We're at a transfer. I think this is a transformational time right now that either this takes there a is, goal, the or we have, revolt.
1: The parents have to wake up because they, they, they rail against the school board. They, they might even replace the school board. School boards are trained by the union. Unions are communist. So really, what do you hope? Like, and yet it, it, we've got to wait until the elections. The kids are still going to school. And I would guarantee you that the the teachers are sort of doubling down. And I'm not throwing all all the teachers under the bus. Let's be clear. But the ones who have the agenda, who have the nefarious agenda, they're going to double down because they don't know if their time is limited with the kids. And by the way, it's all in the curriculum anyway. So even if you replace the teachers and you replace the school boards and you replace sort of all of the humankind, which let's face it, it's the human kinds that are really pushing. It's still in the textbooks. How are we going to do that? And then we have to reissue the textbooks or we have to go back to the old textbooks. I mean, what are parents really thinking is going to change in the next four or five years? Yeah, no, I most mean, most important.
0: To, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's a poison going into kids. And if, you're, if your school is it, uh, it's, it's relentless, as you're saying, uh, which many, most schools are, then your first duty is to take the poison out, right? And so you got to take your kid out. Um, you've got to homeschool. There's some schools that are great. It's worth moving to go, to go to a great school, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I would not. I would not send my kid to school teaching this stuff. And by and I the don't way, think you can ask the teach.
1: Sorry, go ahead. I don't think that most schools, as you say, are able to be reformed. And and so you, you can ask the teacher. Do you, do you think they'll tell you the truth? Like, no. <laughs> how do you feel about critical race theory? Oh, terrible. You think they're, how can you tell, you know? And well, you know, I've heard parents say, well, I have a great relationship with my child. My child tells me everything. Guaranteed, your child doesn't tell you everything. That's just not the way it works. And if your child knows that you're going to get upset over something, even if it's not going to come down on them, they're not going to want you to get involved. There's a lot of peer pressure in school. Even if the kids are laughing behind their, you know, tw- tw- tittering behind their their hands, at the teacher saying something that, that they think is wrong, that they're not going to broach that and perhaps incite some sort of outcry. I just, you know, we, I think as Christians, we sort of have too much faith in sort of the system and it's worked for me and I, I grew up in the system and I'm okay. Um, and, and so now that we've sort of covered that, I want to talk to you about the church. Can you address this wokeness that that's pervading the churches now?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the driving reason for me to write the book is that it, it really is on, on so many levels and, and all across the board. And I see it in churches all over the place um, and pastors and,
1: and, and priests um, okay. who, who have sort of absorbed all of, all of this stuff. So um, I'm going to I'm going to pause you right there because okay. we have to take a quick break. But we will be right back for well, we won't be right back. For those of you on radio, I will be right back. Uh, my guest is going to continue for a brief time more, and that will be over at sorbos.locals.com if you want the rest of this interview. And uh, the same goes for everybody watching on video. Um, but uh, for radio and podcast, I'll be back after a brief break.
0: A free exchange of ideas. Mojo 5
1: And welcome back to the Sam Sorbo show. Thanks so much for joining me on mojo 50com or on Spotify or iHeartRadio Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, everywhere, basically. I'm so thrilled to be here um, and on YouTube and on Rumble and at Locals.com. We're going to talk about Facebook. I've got a lot to talk about. Facebook is now, I don't know if you've seen it. I just saw this come through on Twitter uh, that somebody posted that their friend was sent this message uh, from Facebook, from the higher ups at Facebook. Are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? That's what the message reads. We care about preventing extremism on Facebook. I thought they were all about diversity. Extremism is diversity. Others in your situation have received confidential support. Are you kidding me? And then there's a button that says get support. And I tweeted back, hey, press the button. Like I want to know what they do. Uh, Do they have a little worm that goes into people's brains and sort of cleans that out? Crazy stuff, really. Minneapolis City Council Vice President was held hostage by BLM activists until she agreed to their demands. Can you believe that? She was in her car uh, driving. Uh, and uh, this, is, this is an amazing story because there's video on it. And the activists surrounded her car. Uh, they wouldn't allow her to leave. For 90 minutes, an hour and a half, she finally signed the paper agreeing to their demands. They checked it. They wanted to make sure that she wrote her name printed it because after she signed it, that may, maybe that wasn't enough. Um, the demand agreement looks like a scrawled hostage note with people's demands written at the top of it. Um, it called for a police accountability commission, dropping all charges against all the protesters, leaving the George Floyd, Floyd Square alone. And also the, the 2020 protesters, there are 646 protesters. And it called for the resignation of the mayor. So maybe... Maybe the mayor will finally weigh in on this. One woman yelled, we are through asking. We're now, we are demanding, which I find so fascinating because my previous guest, Noelle Mearing, who's the author of Awake, Not Woke, just brought up this idea that the left is seeking power, even though they have the power. Isn't that fascinating? So they, they still claim that they have no power, but you can see very clearly that they have all the power. The, um, the woman said she was traumatized. She posted on Facebook she was actually uh, verbally berated, attacked, and held hostage against her will by a large group of angry protesters. She said she refused to be bullied and held hostage. No citizen has the right to detain and coerce anyone to do anything. And um, this is really quite the, quite the story. They're really getting out of hand um, by the way, the city council vice president's name is Andrea Jenkins. Kind of weird. Cause my maiden name is Jenkins. Okay. Brandeis. Brandeis is warning students, not to say picnic rule of thumb. Uh, and other things they call those words oppressive. Does everybody know where rule of thumb comes from? Kind of weird, but it comes from at least according to some people. And you know, this, This may or may not be the truth where rule of thumb comes from, but it used to be, or some people say it was because, um, you were allowed to beat your wife, but not with anything wider than your thumb. And so that was a rule of thumb. And so Brandeis is saying, Hey, don't say those words. So this is really, uh, well, it's political correctness run amok, although political correctness is amok (laughs) already, uh, They're really, and picnic, which is fascinating. Um, You're not even supposed to say the word trigger warning, but trigger warning, I'm going to say picnic now as a rule of thumb. (laughs) I don't know if rule of thumb came from that because it seems to me it would be something different than that, frankly. But um, they they love to put these things together and make uh, outrageous claims. Uh, The oppressive language list was first reported by Campus Reform. They do great work and developed recently as part of the park's response to anti-blackness program. It's always growing based on suggestions from the community. Isn't that reassuring? So the number of words that you will not be allowed to use is growing. I can only hope that there's a backlash against it. Killing it is outlawed. Prostitute is outlawed. Go off the reservation is outlawed. You guys, outlawed. Freshman, no, no. Crazy, lame. Don't say the word victim. For heaven's sake, don't mention survivor, tribe, or powwow. Spirit animal is off limits. Mentally ill. Mm-mm, that's a no-no. Addict, homeless person, disabled person. And we talked about trigger warning. Also take a stab at. No, 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 no. And then policeman, congressman, and the word insane, even though that's the first word that comes to mind. You may not say that. So they suggested other words. So instead of picnic, use the words outdoor eating. We're going on an outdoor eating. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. Rule of thumb, you can replace it with general rule, but it's not a general rule. It's a rule of thumb because it allegedly comes from that old British law. I don't believe it. Uh, When it comes to trigger warning, that's an alert that spoken, written, or recorded material might be alarming to certain people. Their um, alternative that they suggest is uh, content note. That's not quite the same thing. Why? Oh, because the word trigger, they say, has connections to guns for many people. And even the thought of a gun is so offensive to these snowflakes. I bet snowflakes should be in there. It's not, but, um, but it should be. So Elise Stefanik, who's a Republican from Glen Falls, a U.S. representative, she's co-sponsoring a bill called the Campus Free Speech and Restoration Act, she called the list an all-out assault on the First Amendment and an example of the far-left cancel culture happening in our schools. Well, fair enough. She said the far-left's radical overhaul of education is un-American. They push so-called safe spaces to eliminate diversity of thought, critical thinking, and intellectual curiosity and replace it with socialist brainwashing, groupthink, and Marxist ideology, like critical race theory. She said that. Ain't that true? Okay, before I leave you, 10 reasons the 2020 election was the fairest of them all. Isn't that funny? I should have a mirror. Why am I the fairest of them all? I was the 2020 election. I was the fairest election of all. Um, Okay, so this is, yes, it's off the Babylon Bee, one of my favorite sites and one of my favorite sources for humor because it makes me laugh. And if you don't subscribe to the Babylon Bee, you can. Just go to Babylon B and subscribe to their newsletters are totally free. And then maybe you'll click on some of the links and go over to their articles and they will earn money because they have advertisers. And that's how that works. Uh, So the 2020 election was the free, the fairest of them all, because literally everyone says so. Duh. 2020 election couldn't have been rigged because all the people who are cool and smart and not weird, they all say so. You want to look like a weirdo? Ew. Number two. Journalists were fair and balanced in assessing the qualities of moderate, kind, decent Joe Barton and of his opponent, Hitler. Thank goodness for the press, it says. Uh, number three, mail in votes were handled by USPS, the most reliable, trustworthy company on the planet. The post office almost never screws up, loses or delays US mail. It's really quite amazing. Uh, number four. <clears throat> Vote counters in Philadelphia and Detroit spent many years practicing how to count before election night, some of them since kindergarten. The election was truly in good hands. Number five, Democrats have never done anything wrong ever. Nope, not ever. Number six, posters and barricades were held up to block people from seeing the unprecedented blinding levels of vote counting fairness. That's why they blocked the windows. The poll watchers showed up at their eyeballs would have been burned out by the awe-inspiring amount of vote counting integrity. Many lives were saved by the blocking of the counting of the watchers, the blocking of the watchers of the vote counters. And absolutely nobody, nobody was threatened behind a pool house by a chain wielding Biden. <laughs> I'm sorry, that one made me laugh. OK, Biden would never do something like that, except that he told us that he did. So that was interesting. Number eight, New York didn't just accidentally count 138,000 ballots, a bizarrely familiar number. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. Science has clearly shown that voter fraud is completely impossible and would never happen here, especially in New York City, where they're really good at elections. By the way, I am developing to go along with my book a little poster that you can order online. It's almost finished. I'll be posting it pretty soon at my website, samstorbo.com. I'm very excited about it it's a words for warriors poster just for fun because people were asking for it and it is kind of fun. And so it's going to have several words up there of the new group. Think um, uh, lie speak uh, that the, that the left has concocted. Oh, I actually like lie speak. Lie speak. Um, number nine, the election turned out exactly how your late, great, great grandfather would have wanted. This was verified by his vote in the 2020 election. <laughs> and number 10, The reason that the 2020 election was the fairest election of all time is the Democrat candidate won. And that's perhaps the most important sign of a fair and impartial election. (laughs) And the evil fascist dictator was voted out of office, which is odd because if he was an evil fascist dictator, he would never have left off office voluntarily, but he did, but they don't admit when they're wrong, do they? All right, that's it for me for now, but I will be right back after a quick break. Please stay tuned if you're listening on Mojo50.com. And of course, on the podcast, I'll be right back.
0: Happily promoting the four Fs, freedom, faith, free markets, and fun,
1: Mojo50. Welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. We're gonna talk about vaccine victims and the war on reality. I've got a couple of great things to go over with you. Also, doctors have been just given power over parental rights, which is really quite- Uh, concerning and then an uplifting story from, uh, strangely, the Supreme Court of the United States. I'm excited to talk about that. So first. uh, First, the vaccine victims, this was an amazing story that uh, just came across. I don't know how much play it's gotten in the media, but I certainly want to give it as much play as possible. Senator Ron Johnson held a press conference and allowed the victims of the of the vaccine victims. they, They claim they are victims of the vaccine and they have medical doctors, uh, testifying or, or, you know, affirming that their symptoms are as a result of their vaccines of their COVID shots. Um, he decided that they needed to have a voice and a, and a, uh, a place to be seen, heard and believed. Um, they, to a person, there were five, let's see, there were one, two, three, five, five of them. Yes, I can count one, two, three, four, five. There were five of them present at the meeting. They represent a lot more. They say, they were all pro-silent science and pro-vaccine, which is why they went and got the vaccines. Um, in fact, one of them was a an early test candidate. The most amazing thing about her testimony was she she's she she I think she even works in the medical field, and she believes so much in science and everything that she volunteered to be a guinea pig back in. Not that not everybody is volunteering to be guinea pigs because it's still in the testing phase, even though they're not tracking. I don't know why they're calling it a testing phase. They're not tracking. So in any case, um, she volunteered back in, I think, September or October. So in the fall, before it was rolled out, she was volunteering for the preliminary testing. And she is so debilitated now. And her, her plea wasn't that other people shouldn't get Shouldn't participate in the testing, shouldn't get the vaccine, shouldn't anything. Her plea was simply, Hey, I volunteered to be part of a test under the assumption that if anything went wrong, if it didn't work for me, if it didn't, if there were problems, that I would be backed up, that, that people would be taking care of me. And they don't. They initially refused to even acknowledge that it had anything to do with the vaccine. She's basically com- completely uh, debilitating. I'm going to go through some of the, um, some of the list of the symptoms that these people have um, that, that it seems like by and large, they all had many of these same symptoms. So tingling blurry vision, brain fog was a big one brain fog. Like they couldn't hold a thought sensitivity to light and sound, the shakes, nausea, neuropathy, loss of control of legs. So uh, several of them were sort of paralyzed from the chest down um, and they've regained some of it. Um, they were diagnosed, uh, they were diagnosed as having anxiety. Like in, they were diagnosed completely separate from the vaccine. Well, you've got some anxiety. Don't worry about it. Um, she said she had internal vi- vibrations. She felt vibrations on her, in her insides, um, that she couldn't control. She couldn't eat, think, she could barely breathe. One of these, uh, one of these victims was saying, and she thought she was dying. So the doctors, are denying some of them weighed in and said that they thought the doctors were denying the effects of the vaccine because they trusted the CDC and the CDC is being silent on all of this. One of them said that she had a friend who got the vaccine had such debilitating symptoms. She eventually committed suicide. That would be a COVID death like for real scary. (sighs) Uh, She said, this thing takes over your body and you have no choice but to hold on and hope you can survive She called them collateral damage of the pandemic. They're the collateral damage. She said when she finally could touch her children, because apparently her skin felt like it was like the tingling and everything was so uh, uncomfortable. She said the touch of my little son's hand no longer feels like it's on fire. Um, She never had the COVID. She got the vaccine. Now she's severely debilitated and sick. She said, we signed up for this trial. And now that problems have occurred, no one is interested she said the test clinic agreed to pay for her bills, but that she hasn't heard anything from them in months. No, she never, sorry, ever. She never heard a thing from them. So they make these promises and then they refuse to follow up or do, do anything about it. Um, it's a trial, but they're not interested in the results of the trial. That's my problem with it. Uh, they, the doctors initially for many of them refused to report it to VAERS, uh, then told them to report it. That's not how VAERS works. Um, according to vares there have been 4,812 deaths. That's according to the virus adverse effects reporting system, um, where apparently it seems many of the adverse effects are not being reported. Uh, so I've heard that it's only 1% of the adverse effects that are reported. I've also heard 10%. Uh, if we take 10%, if we say, okay, 10%, that's 40, 48,000 deaths. And that's not even counting all just the adverse effects, people who haven't died, people who are just struggling. Um, I've, I heard a, a story about a young man. Now, young men typically don't, don't struggle with COVID, don't even struggle with it. But even if they did, the adverse effects that we're seeing in young men, specifically, mostly in young men, is myocarditis, myocarditis or pericarditis, which is inflammation of either the heart tissue itself or the tissue surrounding the heart. And uh, this one kid apparently had a heart attack. It's a healthy young kid, 20 years old, or maybe he was 18. Heart attack. Right after getting the vaccine, the second dose, not the first dose. According to VARES, 5,000 total deaths over the previous 31 years have resulted from vaccines. But this year alone, from a single vaccine... 4,800, and that does not represent adequately because we don't know yet. We still have people out there struggling. A Harvard study said that the VAERS system only captured 1% of the deaths, if, or the stats, if that's true, then we're looking at 1%, 400,000, sorry, almost almost 500,000 deaths got to do math in my head, which I frankly love to do. Now here, I want to compare this for you guys. There's uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. um, Ivermectin, two deaths per year. Hydroxychloroquine, 23. And those are prophylactics. Tylenol has 730 deaths a year. Did you know that? That was crazy. That's according to Vars. Remdesivir has uh, 938 deaths per year. So Senator Johnson said, hey, listen, I'm an accountant. I don't understand the medical stuff, but I can read numbers and I don't understand why our health agencies have not been paying attention to this stuff. And I'll tell you, I don't understand it either. And YouTube might take this down. It'll be up on Locals.com. Go to sorbos.locals.com. It's also going up on Rumble. Uh, So what do you say to critics who say that most people aren't suffering the side effects of the vaccine? Somebody asked one of, the, uh, one of the people who was suffering, and um, I don't remember her answer. Uh, it was something about, well, I am, and you know, it, she just went back to their sort of standard uh, answer, which was they just want to be seen, heard, and believed. Um, my thing is, most people aren't suffering side effects of the vaccine. Prove it. Prove it. Just bring me the statistics. Let's chat because there are no statistics. You can't prove that statement. Well, I know a ton of people who got the Yeah. So I know a ton of people who didn't get the vaccine who are doing just great too. I'm just saying, is your argument that um, people who suffer the side effects don't exist? Like what's the point of the argument? Well, most people don't have side effects. Okay. What's your point? So we should ignore the people who do. We should, we should silence and cancel the people who don't want to get the shots for whatever reason Should we sweep those people under the rug? The gal who was so uh, severely debilitated, she lay down during part of the presentation. Um, she called them wounded. Actually, I think it was another gal who used to run triathlons and now can't, couldn't walk for a time and is still struggling uh, physically. Um, she called them uh, wounded warriors. She said, you know, we signed up. and We've been battling against the pandemic. We're doing basically... To these people, in a sense, we're doing what we did to the Vietnam War vets who came back. And uh, they 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 all all of them firmly believe that it was their job as American citizens to support getting us out of the pandemic and get their shots. And I'm telling you, this religion is stronger than Christianity, folks. All right. um, So that that was amazing. Uh, Let's see. C.J. Hopkins uh, exposes the war on reality. Um, And I just wanted to touch on this uh, because I just found it fascinating. Um, It's a, it's a satirical uh, essay, but uh, Tyler Durden sort of wrote about it. So the war on reality is going splendidly. Societies all across the world have been split into opposing irreconcilable realities. Neighbors, friends, even family members are bitterly divided into two hostile camps, each regarding each other as paranoid psychotics delusional fanatics, dangerous idiots, and in any event as mortal enemies. It's very sad. In uh, the UK, in Germany, many other countries, and in numerous states throughout the US, there's a state of emergency that remains in effect because this apocalyptic virus is on the loose. Meanwhile, in Sweden and a few other countries and in various other states throughout the US, there is no apocalyptic pandemic, which really sort of begs the question, can it be a pandemic if it's not everywhere? People are just going about their lives as normal. Sure, there's a nasty virus going around. No one's arguing that. People are taking common sense uh, precautions. They're washing their hands and being careful maybe not to hug people that they don't know. What I find fascinating is the people won't allow you to approach them unless they get to know you, but know you as in just know your name. Like seriously, don't know that much about you, but then once they know your name They feel there's a familiarity, and then they're willing to put their personal uh, uh, immunology sort of on the line. I just find it kind of fascinating. It's easy to forget, given the last 16 months, that people have been bitterly divided and inhabiting mutually exclusive realities and regarding people who don't conform to their realities as enemies for the last five years. Not talking about political disagreements or even socio-cultural differences, talking about contradictory realities. That is what's amazing right now. It's a reality for people. And other people are just scratching their heads going, but that's not the real world. And I'll tell you something to broaden this picture, because uh, my last guest was so profound, um, Noelle, to broaden this picture There is a reality out there that black people cannot survive, cannot get ahead in the United States at all, despite several black people advancing into the upper echelons of their chosen fields. There's a great video of a black guy sort of lecturing a whole room of white people about critical race theory and saying, wasn't any white person who held me down. Wasn't any white person who held me back. I've got two medical degrees I didn't allow any white person to get in my way and you all are going to sit there and allow them to tell you that you got in the, that that you are getting in their way just, just by your very existence. The two realities that we have are there are people who still love humanity and there are people who hate humanity and want to destroy it and will do anything they can to destroy it. We're already living in a new reality in which facts no longer matter. Things never happened that officially happened, that seriously happened, but nope, they didn't happen. Um, Other things that obviously never happened did happen or were a conspiracy theory. And it's fascinating how so many conspiracy theories are now coming true remember when it was ridiculous when trump said um that the that the fbi was spying on him and all the media just crashed down on him and said he's obviously insane that's ridiculous and then we found out several years later that the fbi was spying on him no retractions no corrections no apologies those people those are the people that hate humanity because they don't like truth they only love the lie the war on reality is not an attempt to replace reality with a fake reality. Or it is that, but it's only part of it. The real goal is to render reality arbitrary. And if that is the goal, then boy. And, and it boils down to, so my first guest on the show today was Kate Corrigan. And I, um, I gently chastised her because she said my truth there is no such thing as my truth. The truth is the truth and the lie is a lie. And so we have to fight to maintain just the idea now that there is truth, that is truth for everybody. If an atomic bomb hits, that is true for everybody within its range. And then of course, if there is truth, then there is the lie. That's why they want to get rid of the truth because then they can lie about anything with impunity. All right. Let's see. Before I let you go, SCOTUS sides with a school cheerleader who was suspended. Um, The SCOTUS said the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the school did in fact violate the cheerleader's rights to free speech. She issued a Snapchat, uh, which Uh, I believe it's, it's like a short video and it goes out, but then it disappears. It's destroyed. So it doesn't last, but it was full of F-bombs about the school, but she did it when she was not on school property. And the school said, oh no, you can't have free speech out in the real world either. You, you must obey our speech dictums when you're on school property and also when you're out in the world. And SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States said, no, that's incorrect You can dictate what is allowed on school property, but you may not dictate what's allowed off of school property. So that's awesome. And I want you all to to take that with you today and uh, know that um, the fight goes on and there are some great wins out there, really great wins. And that was one of them. And uh, yeah, the truth will prevail, but we just have to stand firm. Thanks so much for listening to the Sam Sorbo Show. Uh, I appreciate you. Please share with your friends. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's really easy to share the podcast. You just share it. So, uh, okay. That's it for me. The Sam Sorbo Show signing off.